Hey guys, I am Caleb Giddings. And I am Keith Finch. And today we are talking about ammo myths because it's not just stopping power that generates bad information on the internet, but people have all of these crazy ideas that projectiles do things that projectiles don't do or projectiles don't do things that projectiles do. And so we're going to nail at least three or four of those today. And hopefully you guys, next time somebody says something crazy, like, oh, I don't know, you should use birdshot for home defense. You'll be able to take that person, put them in a rear naked choke and snuff their life out. I mean, educate them anyway. Not that that's a pet peeve of mine. No more, no more bad things. Only, no only sweet dreams. Now. No more words, only dreams. Night, night. Um, <laughs> so, but like, how do, before we get into the actual myths, ammo myths get started very often based on individual experience that resonates with unskilled users. And as a perfect example, something I know we've talked about uh, is the post-Korean War reputation that the M1 carbine developed as not being good at killing stuff, uh, which is an interesting, it's interesting if you track it because in World War II, nobody had bad things to say about the M1 carbine. It was universally uh, loved by the people that carried it. And a gun that started off as a back as a gun that was intended to be issued to back office people saw a lot of frontline combat with very elite units who all seemed to like it quite a bit. So then you get to the Korean war and all of a sudden the M1 carbine sucks and it can't kill anything. Or does it suck because they were trying to shoot guys in the dark eh, with that thing set to full rock and roll and probably just weren't hitting them, but you don't want to tell your grandfather, Hey grandpa, maybe you just sucked at shooting. And that's why you didn't kill anybody with the M1 carbine. So you get these experiences that kind of start something off and it sort of resonates with people and they then grow, uh, grow like grow life of their own. And you end up with people talking about how, uh, five, five, six is overpowered or five, five, six is underpowered. Uh, handgun stopping power, using birdshot for self-defense, and all of these other silly things. Like, let's talk about 556, because that one is all you. Well, let's start with 556. We're going to go into two things with 556. And the first one is the overpower or underpower myth. And if you guys are following along, 556 is and was developed as an assault rifle round. And an assault rifle, by definition, was an intermediate power round. They didn't want full power rifle, and they didn't want pistol caliber submachine guns, which were either 9mm or 45 during the time of development. They wanted something that could do 300 yards, 400 yards, 500 yards, but they didn't need the 1,000 of all the classic 30 cal rounds. Mm -hmm. So they developed an intermediate cartridge with an intermediate power level. And when you look at all the physics that are involved in 5.56, it fits that bill perfectly. It's, it's foot pounds of energy are right in the middle. It's effective range right in the middle. A nice light recoil pattern compared to these full power, you know, ammunition. But because, you know, and it was the same thing in Vietnam that they were experiencing, like the, the M16 got the reputation that the M1 carbine got in Korea 
it developed it in Vietnam. This, oh, it couldn't shoot anything. Everyone preferred 308 and all that other garbage. And that, that just wasn't true. There were definitely teething problems with the M16 and the, the development of 556. But 556 has put a lot of people on the ground. So it is absolutely a lethal round. But it's lethal within its envelope within its design parameters. So, you know, you might hit a guy at 800 yards in a limb or something, and he gets back up and keeps going where a heavier round may have done more damage. Sure, that's physics. So the, I, and then the other side of things were, well, it's a military round and therefore it's a rifle round. Therefore it won't stop and it will always overpenetrate. So it's a terrible round for like home defense, self-defense and, whatnot like that. And when you go again, back to the physics of, of the round itself, it's actually a really good round for close in personal defense and home defense, which is one of the reasons why SWAT teams have very nearly universally gone over to it. A lot of personal protection details have gone over to it. And if there was a penetration if, issue, if there was a problem with overpenetration and misses and everything like that, they wouldn't be using this round. There would just be way too much liability involved in that. And what it comes down to is a longer, narrower bullet dumps all its energy faster than a thicker, fatter, more round bullet, which you get out of pistol calibers. So 556 is honestly really good at a lot of things, but it also has its limitations. So to explain that in a way that the average person can understand, and this kind of gets into the stopping power conversation, when you shoot somebody with a pistol, uh, it is very much like you're pushing a piece of rebar through them. You know, take whatever caliber your pistol bullet is after it expands or if it doesn't expand, and then slow and then get a piece of rebar that same diameter and push that through a person not actually but like that's the wounding mechanism that you get with a pistol where it the piece of rebar only destroys the tissue that it touches the it bullet makes does exactly the bullet does the same thing it just makes a hole a rifle a 556 or larger rifle once it meets a certain velocity threshold is like shooting is like taking a piece of rebar and jabbing it into somebody and then the end of that piece of rebar explodes and but it doesn't explode until it's like 7 inches into your body which mm -hmm. is where you want it to explode which is why the M193 uh the very, very common M193 is actually a round that has really great terminal ballistics because it goes in and what it does after it enters is it yaws 180 degrees. And when it yaws inside the body, it rips shit to bits. And rifle bullets are traveling with such high velocities uh, over really once you're over this 2000 feet per second threshold, you then have entered a velocity threshold where things like hydrostatic shock are actually wounding mechanisms where the velocity of the round itself imparts such energy to the surrounding structures. It can actually damage those structures. It actually does permanent damage, which pistol calibers can't do. They just don't have the ass behind them to do that. It's a, that physics change, which is why when you're measuring like foot pounds, foot pounds is a very common way to measure muzzle energy and to determine like what it, what a specific round can do when you look at handgun rounds they're all roughly when you when you look at the defensive ones they're all in the 400 foot pound range they're all around that number they're a little above they're a little below but when you go into like 556 five, five, and 545 which are the light fast ones 
and the lowest on the recoil scale when it comes to uh, when it comes to rifle rounds. Once you cross that threshold, you're already up to the 12, 1300 foot pound range. So you've doubled to tripled the energy that you were delivering from any given handgun caliber. You're in an entirely different sphere. On top of that, because of the bullet design, that long, narrow design that rifle bullets have, you get that yaw effect. You get that energy dump immediately. You don't get the the round pistol effect that mm. uh, that you get out of the out of the jacketed hollow point, which is why jacketed hollow point was designed. Is they were trying to mitigate that just ball round effect, which pokes the one hole. They were trying to make the hole bigger because that was your wounding mechanism. Yeah. And I mean, a bigger and all, all fact, and I will say this, all factors being equal when you're talking about handgun ammunition, a bigger hole is better. Yes. With the pause that it's not sufficient, it's not significantly better to throw away things like shot placement, for example, Mm -hmm. which is why if somebody can shoot a nine millimeter handgun well, but kind of can't shoot a 45, then definitely stick with the nine mil, you get more bullets and it basically do the same thing with which brings me to which we're I'm, we'll get to pistol ammo here in a minute because mm-hmm. I want to talk about that idea of energy being transferred to the target because that's that's what kills people is energy being transferred to the target that destroys important bits inside you it destroys vital structures uh, major blood bearing organs in your central nervous system are the primary structures that we're trying to destroy and we're trying to do especially when we talk about major blood bearing organs we're trying to destroy as much of that organ as possible to cause the most rapid blood loss possible because to explain this in very simple terms, humans only die one way. We die when our brain runs out of blood and oxygen. That's it. That's the way we die. Once that shuts off, then everything else shuts off in our body and we're dead. When we're trying to disrupt that function with a projectile, we're either trying to deprive the brain of blood uh, indirectly by destroying those major blood bearing organs or deprive it of its function directly by shooting people in the central nervous system, like the spine or the face. When you shoot them with rifles, the rifle, again, it has this massive amount of energy, which it can transfer to those structures and damage or destroy them. Pistols don't have that. They have to physically touch them. What about shotguns? Well, I'm so glad I asked. (laughs) I love this myth because I run into it probably more than the other two now, probably more than stopping power handgun and probably more than, you know, rifle is bad for home defense. So this is the the one I keep running into. The whole thing that we're going to about to talk about is birdshot for home defense. And it, just like you said, it's shocking to me how often I still hear this. As a matter of fact, I was listening to uh, a podcast the other day, and I don't listen to gun podcasts. I I very occasionally will tune in to. I have friends who have their own podcasts. I don't listen to them that often. I'll occasionally tune in if the guest is somebody that I know as well, and they're I want to hear it or something like that. And a big part of that is because I do this for a living. I want my entertainment to be something external to what I do for a living. So you know, I listen to podcasts about mixed martial arts. It's within. <laughs> In the ballpark. I but listen anyway, to movie, like I listen to movie critiques. I love movie critics. So that that's what I do. <laughs> so I'm listening to this podcast, and the hosts are one of them's a former mixed martial artist turned stand-up comedian, and the other one's a professional stand-up comedian uh, and a former actor. If you can't figure it out from that, it should be pretty easy. And one of them 
and these guys, they're like, they like guns, right? They're, you know, they think guns are cool. They've been to a uh, range in Southern California that's known for training John Wick and having hot women around and they've shot guns there. Um, and one of the hosts is like, what you need for home defense is a shotgun with birdshot. And I'm screaming at the radio in my car at this point. I'm literally just yelling, shut up, shut up, shut the fuck up. Because there's nothing more annoying than when, you're listening to something and the hosts of it start talking about an area that you're subject, uh, you're a subject matter expert in. Like if somebody out there who's listening to this is a dentist, he does not want to hear me and you talk about how to do a root canal. Like he does not. Nope. Not, not in the slightest, but, and, and the, and every time I've, I've, I've had that same thing. Shut up, shut up, shut your mouth right now. So many fucking people are listening to you right now are going to go, well, well, he said this is a good idea. Well, yeah, Joe Biden said fire two blasts through your freaking ceiling. By the way, you guys should definitely go look up the auto-tune video where Joe Biden sings that. It's hilarious. Beautiful. Fire two blasts. Um, so, but anyway, <laughs> so here's the problem. Like, I understand where this idea of using a birdshot and a shotgun has come from. And it's sort of a two- it's sort of a two-layered thing in that one, shotguns used to be and still are in certain areas incredibly prevalent. Like there are many, many homes where someone has a shotgun either for bird hunting or for sport shooting where these people don't even necessarily think of themselves as gun owners in the sense that you and I do, but they're like, well, yeah, it's my, you know, my $1,300, my $13,000 Parazzi that I use to shoot little clay discs out of the sky once a month. Like that guy doesn't think of himself as a gun owner. And similarly, maybe the guy who hunts, you know, ducks or something once or twice a year doesn't, but There have been many times where these guns have been successfully pressed into a home defense role, and it's usually with the available ammo that they have, which in these situations invariably is birdshot. And so what and so that's the first half of this myth. The second half of this myth is Hollywood and them coming together where, you know, your great uncle once shot a burglar with a shotgun with number four birdshot and the guy ran away. Is that a successful defensive gun use? Yes. Was the guy incapacitated? No, he just got shot with a bunch of birdshot and decided he didn't want to be there anymore. So he left. It's, and that's, it's one of those negative reinforcements with a positive outcome. Mm, like if, and whenever this comes up and whenever people like you or I are like, you shouldn't use birdshot for self-defense, someone will invariably say, well, you wouldn't let me shoot you. You know, if it's birdshot sucks so much, would you let me shoot you with, you know, number seven birdshot? No. Oh, (laughs) I mean, but actually maybe depending on the circumstances, would I let you shoot me with number seven birdshot from across the hallway? Frick no, that, that would hurt. And I might die. Would I let Mm. you shoot at me with number seven birdshot from 50 yards away following a parabola? Yeah. Anybody who's hunted, uh, anybody who's hunted like open field birds in the plains has felt the pitter patter of birdshot on their hat at some point. I've, I've been on a range. I was shooting a competition IDPA several years ago on a range and the, the, uh, landing area for some of the skeet ranges was into these bays. So we were shooting, Mm -hmm. we were also getting rained on by birdshot. Yeah. And that's, so that's, that's the other thing is, you know, sometimes, yeah, you want to shoot at me from 50 yards away with your bird shot. Uh, okay. Let's, you know, I'm, I'm more willing to entertain this idea at this point, but 
what happens with birdshot is again, it's readily available. There are lots of shotguns out there and lots of people have been shot with birdshot where it has successfully stopped an attack. But to your point, what we're relying on in that moment is not physical incapacitation. It's a psychological stop. And it's people are betting that whomever they shoot with this birdshot is going to go, oh shit, I've been shot and decide they don't want to be there anymore and that they should run away and not do whatever naughty thing that they're doing. Which for, for those for those unaware, there are two ways to stop someone. We we covered the two physical ways to stop someone, but there are two actual ways. There's a physical stop, which is involuntary. They don't have a choice. Their body doesn't work anymore. And then there's the voluntary stop where they say, nope, I'm done. A lot of self-defense involves voluntary stop. A lot of self-defense involves voluntary stop. I would actually go out on what I feel is a fair, fairly sturdy limb here and say that most civilian self-defense cases, not just shootings, but just civilian instances of self-defense result in a voluntary or a psychological stop. And mm -hmm. very few, and the vast uh, minority result in an actual physiological stop where someone's body is shut down due to trauma received. Um, oh, that's ma that's mathematically undoubtedly a fact, because look, look at the number of justified police shootings and justified self-defense shootings in any in given year. And it's a couple of thousand that resulted in a fatality. And but you look at the actual surveyed changes of, you know, uh, assault, aggravated assault and all the other violent crimes that will result in the self-defense use or an aid defense use or anything like that. And they're in the hundreds of thousands to millions of instances right. a year. If you take even the lowest of low end estimates of the number of just defensive gun uses, it's like 250,000 a year. And that's the lowest low end. That's like the CDC's estimate of it. And then if you take the number of people that actually get killed in justifiable self-defense homicides every year, which I should add, a homicide isn't necessarily a physiological stop. A homicide just means that they died at some Eventually. point due to the shooting that they received. So uh, that is, that's a whole different topic that you can get really deep in the weeds on. But to bring things back, we choose defensive cartridges because of the probability and reliability and reliability that they can induce a physiological stop, that they can actually stop the body. With handguns, we know we're making an inherent compromise by having a platform that is easy to carry on the body, easy to conceal, easy to be man portable, and we are compromising the effectiveness of it for its size and its portability. We all have agreed with that. And even then, we're still trying to optimize our chances. With shotguns, there is you already have a platform that's you know big, heavy, difficult to shoot, if you're intentionally selecting birdshot, you are compromising your shotgun's effectiveness for reasons that I don't understand. So let's break this down. P reasons why people want to say they want birdshot. They say they want birdshot. Reason number one, they say they want birdshot because it gives them a greater probability of a hit on the target, which Heard that one. I will accept this as a true statement, but it's a true statement based on stupid logic, because mm -hmm. if you're spraying, you know, a hundred little tiny pe pellets at someone and you hit them with 20 of those pellets, they're not gonna, it's not gonna have the desired effect. 
uh, the instances where birdshot has been used really, really successfully and killed people are at really, really close range where the pattern hasn't had enough time to spread apart and lose its effectiveness, which comes from all of that mass. Contrary to popular belief, people, shotguns still need to be aimed, even with birdshot, especially at close ranges. At household ranges, the kind of distances that you're going to shoot somebody with a shotgun with, you still need to aim the gun, which is why I pick buckshot, because I know that across my living room, the Federal Flight Control double out buck eight pellet load that I use throws a pattern this big, the size of my fist. And I know that because I've patterned it at exactly that distance. So number one, they say it increases my chances of getting a hit on the bad guy, to which I say, do better, get better at shooting, suck less. Uh, because it, And honestly, your patterns aren't changing that much. I bet if you no. pattern the birdshot load against the buckshot load, you're not going to see that much greater a pattern, which means if you were going to miss with one, you'd miss with the other. Yeah, I would actually, I'm really interested now. I would love to see like, because I've got some, uh, actually, fun fact, I actually did this. I have a uh, some heavy like three inch magnum um uh waterfowl loads for that i pattern out of my 1300 and out of my beretta or 1301 sorry beretta uh out of my 1301 out of my 1301 at about 10 yards the buckshot pattern was about i would say it was probably about four to six inches the duck ammo pattern was about four to six inches it was all on a paper plate at that distance and it wasn't really like on the fringes of the plate. Uh, the flight control has a better wad, but this round is designed to stay together to travel out to distance to kill ducks. So if you were gonna miss with birdshot, you're, if you're gonna miss with buckshot, you're probably gonna miss with birdshot. And if you don't miss, you're getting peripheral hits anyways that aren't really fight stopping hits. And we're back to psychological incapacitation. Mm -hmm. Number two reason that I hear the most often is it won't go through interior walls. To which I also say, fuck you, get better at shooting. Um, if, if your number end one of concern story. in that moment, if your number one concern in that moment that, hi, I have just made the decision that I have to smoke somebody, I have to shoot them. If your number one concern in that moment now is, but what if it goes through the wall? You have rearranged your priorities poorly. Yeah, for real. Uh, this is something that, um, uh, a friend of mine said in a class once, he said, you know what stops rounds from going through interior walls and hitting stuff they're not supposed to hit? Hitting the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So if you, if, and that's a, and that is something that drives me nuts is when people say, well, what if I miss? Don't miss. And I know that almost sounds like a ridiculous argument, but if you're in a situation where you don't have a clean backstop to take a shot and you are not certain of your marksmanship ability to execute the shot at hand, you shouldn't be shooting. Exactly. You need to be moving to get to a better position where you can clean up your backstop. Or maybe you should have fucking practiced so you can make this unobstructed torso shot with a shotgun at seven yards. Right. Like that, oh, that drives me so nuts because it is endemic of lazy thinking. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's just, oh, well, I'm worried about what would happen if I miss. And I, I'm to, worried about a fail, a hypothetical fail that I am the one setting myself up for. And it's a hypothetical failure that you are 100% in control of, 
of not happening. You, right. If you're worried that you will miss a home invader and the round will go through the wall and kill your partner, or kill your kid, then it is incumbent on you as a res- theoretically responsible gun owner to go get the training necessary so that you can send that round with impunity. So that go you know, it. yeah, go fix your problem. The deficiency has nothing to do with the gun. Don't select subpar ammunition because you fucking suck. Get better, be better, be better equipped to defend yourself and defend your family. If you're spraying rounds indiscriminately at noises in the dark, you shouldn't like, it's just, it's, it drives me nuts because that's what it is. It is, it is justifying a shitty choice by a lazy thinking. And it that is. lazy thinking is not necessary. Which brings me to the, uh, which actually I I, want to stay on that going through interior walls bit. Every projectile that will reliably kill a human being will go through like four or five bits of drywall. Uh, Five, five, six rounds will tend to destabilize and tumble and go off course after they go through one or two, but they're still packing enough energy to kill something that you can't then predict which direction they're going to go. If you shoot it and you're flat and level, And then it spins and it corkscrews down into the left. That's still probably going to go into somebody you don't want it to go into. So you can't control that. Five, five, six will go through a gazillion interior walls. Nine mil will go through a gazillion interior walls. Buckshot will go through a gazillion interior walls. Get better. They will all go through more walls than is safe. All of them. Yeah. Which is all of them. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, don't, even get me started with this glazer safety slug nonsense because you know what happens when you shoot a glazer into drywall it acts like an fmj it closes up and it goes straight through the freaking wall so yeah the whole it won't go through drywall thing is probably my biggest pet peeve with shotguns uh because it's just and i've said it a hundred times it's just freaking lazy thinking you are justifying a poor equipment choice because you lack the skill necessary to take a shot with impunity in your own home and if that's you I don't want you on my team. Go right. get training. Go get better. Be better. You have a, I, I feel very strongly about this. You have an obligation to be better if you're in the position where your family is relying on you for protection. Like if you, you, know, you have an obligation to be the one who can take that. Yeah, take absolutely. That. Yeah. All right. So that's it for shotguns. No, I've got one more on shotgun. I want oh, give to me, give me the give me the shotgun yep. one. And it's again back to birdshot because this is the most recent edition of the myth I heard, and the and it's one that comes from a place of morality. I understand it, but it's one of those that goes back to the psychological versus physiological stop. And it's I don't want to kill the guy, and I get that. I get that. It is a it is a common. Well, I don't want to kill that guy. I'm sorry, we have passed that. A, there's no legal difference in attempting to kill someone with a less effective round or a more effective round. You shot a gun at them, you were trying to kill them. End of story. That's legally what happened. You pulled the gun on them, you were trying to kill them. End of story. That's what happened. A gun is lethal force. You will never be heard to argue otherwise in a court of law, period. End of story. There's no legal defense that like, but I used birdshot. I really wasn't trying to kill him. If you pulled the trigger on someone, it's because you determined there was already no other option. And so what people who are selecting this birdshot, number seven and a half or number eight birdshot are doing because they're making it out in their own mind that they're not the bad guy because they selected this 
is they are now relying on the psychological stop instead of the physical physiological mm. stop. Otherwise, this person is getting way too uncomfortably close for anybody's peace of mind because you're relying on the fact that that pattern hasn't broken up yet. So you're essentially hitting them with a solid mass. Because for those who don't know, let's break down the physics real quick. The reason that at any distance birdshot is terrible is because once that mass splits, those are tiny little individual pellets with tiny little individual physics profiles, which is why at 30, 40, 50 yards, they start raining down on stuff in the arc and like they can safely land on your head after yeah. it's blown through a 50. And he goes, like, they, lost, they lost all their energy. They had no physics profile to keep it. There, there wasn't enough mass. It got eaten all after that little bit. Whereas buckshot is the, the round that's designed to keep its mass and keep its energy at 75 yards, 80 yards, 100 yards, and take down a medium-sized animal. That's what it was. Fun fact, where do you think the name buckshot came from? It was literally, it was originally used in smoothbore hunting guns to kill deer, to give the shooter a better chance at taking down that medium-sized animal because it was, you could get more potentially lethal rounds into the target area than you could with a single shot musket, for example. Um, exactly. So it comes back to the fact that you're using a moralistic argument on yourself. And I get it. You don't want to be the bad guy. But remember, you've already passed beyond every stage where being the good guy mattered. You've passed yeah. beyond all those steps already where being the good guy mattered. You were at the point where you have to pull the trigger Make sure what you're shooting is going to produce the desired effect, which is an immediate cease of whatever it is they're doing that caused you to shoot them in the first place. And Itch. you want it, whether it's psychological or physiological, you don't want them to have a choice. If it ends up that they do have a choice because they did get a, a grazing hit, they moved at the last second, whatever it is, like luck was with them and then they stopped anyway. Good for them. Mm. But you, you want to be, if you have to make the decision, pull the trigger, you want that shot to be the most effective shot you, you can possibly take, which is why you use proper ammo. So there's yeah. the third one with shotguns is the, I don't want to kill the guy. So, and interestingly, that third one with shotguns segues into the last one we're going to do today, which is this idea that has made a comeback in recent times due to the media coverage of some of these police shootings where the idea of uh, shooting people in an extremity or something like that, instead of quote unquote, shooting to kill. Uh, the, there was one, and I forget which state it was in, where you know they shot this guy six or seven times and they're like, oh, that's so excessive. And I'm like, that's how many bullets he needed. You wake up one day and you decide to do crimes. You don't know how many bullets it's going to take to stop you, but there's a number greater than one. Um, <laughs> or sometimes, but, and there's this idea that has sort of come back that you can shoot people a little bit, I guess. And it's back to that birdshot thing that you were talking about where someone says, I don't want to kill somebody. That's why I'm using birdshot. Uh, I had a friend many, many years ago once say to me that he carried FMJ in his gun because he wasn't really comfortable with killing somebody. And that's what hollow points were for. And I'm like, bitch, what did you think that they used in world war II and all those submachine guns? That would, 
FMJ, there's entire graveyards full of people that have been killed by 9 mil FMJ. Like, whole graveyards. There, there are a lot of dead people thanks to 9 mil FMJ. A lot yeah. of them. There's, I mean, because if you think about uh, hollow points are actually a fairly new technology when it comes to pistol bullets. You know, uh, all the way back through pistols mm-hmm. up until very, very recently. So guns are a mature technology. Ammo is a mature technology. Very, very recently have we had reliable jacketed hollow point ammunition that works. Uh, up until then, it was all FMJ. It was hard cast semi wad cutters. It was just mm-hmm. lead bullets. It you was know, and, the reason it was called ball ammo, guys, was because it came. It was a ball. Yeah, like it was a ball that flew through the air, and ball ammo continued to just be that with full metal jack and all that. It was a ball that flew through the air that had a wounding effect. the The maturity of the hollow point is actually in part to make. It's to close that gap with handgun ammo and make it more effective than it would be otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, back to this idea of shooting someone a little bit, you can't, all right? And Keith said this already, pulling a gun out is deadly force. Like if I take my gun out and I point it at you and I say, I'm going to kill you, I don't even need to say that last part. If I take a gun out and point it at someone, the person that I'm pointing it at is league, you know, broad, not a lawyer. The person I'm pointing at is broadly legally justified to shoot me because I am the act of drawing a gun and aiming it at someone is initiating deadly force. If I do that to you and I'm not justified to shoot you, you are justified to shoot me in that situation. And so if you take a gun out and then you're trying, and then you're actually shooting it at a person, you can't just shoot somebody a little bit. Shooting at them is deadly force. Shooting them is deadly force, regardless of where you hit them. And this idea that I can shoot somebody in the leg or shoot somebody in the arm and get them to drop them gun, drop a without gun, getting to just how physically freaking right. hard shot is. Yeah, we're not even going to get into that because that's actually like it's way harder to shoot somebody in the arm than it is to shoot them in the chest. And interestingly, if somebody is in the business of doing is in the act of doing naughty shit and you shoot them in the arm, they are less likely to stop doing their naughty shit than they are if you shoot them in the chest. So the whole reason why we quote unquote shoot to kill is that an uncomfortable side effect of how human bodies work is the quickest way to get somebody to stop doing naughty shit when your tool is a firearm is to shoot them in the important stuff. And a unfortunate side effect of shooting people in that important stuff is sometimes they fucking die. Sometimes you die. Yeah. Sometimes shouldn't have been doing the naughty shit because sometimes you die. Sometimes, sometimes that's what happens. And then the other part of that that also drives me nuts is this idea that like shooting people in the arm or the leg is somehow relatively harmless. Um, if you get shot, like the classic Hollywood shoulder shot, right? Which is, you know, if you're if you're looking. If you press that notch, if you're if you're listening to the audio, if you press that notch in your shoulder, kind of in between your pec and where your shoulder starts to get bony, people get shot in that part in movies all the time, and they're always fine, regardless of the fact. I broke my humerus bone last year, which is in that general area. It was a devastating injury. It took me months to recover fully, and I still don't have a hundred percent use of that arm, and I probably never will. A bullet to that area would cause lifelong 
has a very high chance of causing lifelong physical injury that you will be dealing with every day for the rest of your life. Not to mention the fact that it could hit the brachial artery and you would bleed to death in 15 seconds. There, there is in fact a major important blood vessel in every one of your limbs that an expanding hollow point that will expand to about an inch might, you know, on your four right. to six inch bicep still hit. Oh, the leg one also drives me nuts. Cause like people get like, did you guys not see Black Hawk down? The guy gets shot the in the femoral artery. artery and dies. Uh, they did that band of brothers too. Guy gets shot in the femoral artery and dies. Like if you shoot somebody in their big meaty thigh, yes, you could miss the femoral artery. You could also shatter their femur and cripple them for life. Uh, sure, you might get a through and through flesh wound that causes very minimal problems. Or you could or shatter their femur. The <laughs> yeah, or you could hit their femoral artery. Like it's, and so it's this idea. It's not, like people, people try and shape it as, oh, it's a safer shot. No, it's not. A, it's lower probability. You are, you are more likely to miss, which we've already covered. People freak out about missing and they, you know, it's going through drywall and going to other rooms and, and it's going to miss and hit someone else, which those are real concerns and you should be aware of them. Uh, but it's not a safer shot in any sense of the word. And it's less likely to work immediately. Like yeah. you, you could you could sever that artery, and that dude could still be doing the bad stuff for a minute, two. Well, and it's you also this idea anything. that when somebody suggests shooting somebody in an extremity, what they're actually suggesting is that instead of trying to stop this person as quickly and efficiently as possible, what you should do is try to horribly maim them for the rest of their life and still also maybe kill them. Like that's yep. so like, also maybe kill them, horribly maim them, and that the pain, if they feel any pain right now, de depending on their yeah. mental and physical state, which you don't know, you just know that this is a situation which you have decided that shooting them is probably the best way to solve it. But now you're going to lower the effectiveness of what you've already decided in an extreme situation that you have to do, which is shoot them to stop them from doing whatever it is they had to do. So yeah, instead of stopping them and maybe killing them by placing effective shots, which either they're going to die or these are recoverable, right? either yeah. one or the other, uh, but instead you're going to maim one of their limbs and still potentially kill them by severing an artery so they die a slower, more painful, and more horrible death uh, through a sanguination. Um, it's actually way like when you actually understand the mechanics of projectile wounding mechanisms and also how the human body works, they, it, this, the suggestion of shooting people in an extremity goes from, oh, we're trying to, you know, maybe kill, kill fewer people to actually horrifying. And if you look through, if you really want to have a fun deep dive into history, there is a reason that kneecapping people, shooting them in the knee has been used as a form of torture pretty much ever since we've got guns because it's gruesome and it's a horrible, disfiguring, cr lifelong crippling injury. So maybe, maybe just shoot people in the bits that makes them stop doing naughty shit and let's try to not disfigure. Like it's, it's such a hard, I, I get frustrated trying to explain this to people because you have to rat it's difficult because you're trying to get someone to wrap their idea around the idea around the get wrap their head around the idea that killing someone in this instance is not only the most 
effective way to stop them, but it's also the most humane thing to do and far better than, again, horribly disfiguring them for the rest of their life, crippling them, and again, also possibly killing them. Like, it's the choice of trying to, it's like trying to kill something cleanly and efficiently versus hacking it up with a machete. Mm -hmm. It's either it's either a clean or an efficient kill, or it's a potentially horrible, life-altering, just devastatingly bad kill. There's no good way to shoot somebody. Yeah, there isn't. There is, if you, you are can't at shoot people point, a little bit, it's a, it's a tragic necessity. Like, yeah, you need to do it. No one was like, "Oh yay, today." <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there are some people who are There's have chosen. Some. There are some people who have chosen the right avocation for them and they're off doing that, you know, hopefully in the service of the greater good. Um, but to kind of put a bow on, yeah, you know, whatever, to kind of put a bow on this, the reason we talk about stuff like this and the reason we kind of tend to get a little bit off on rabbit trails is you guys can see a lot of these myths are sort of interconnected and they're interconnected around what are ideas that seem good on their surface because people generally don't want to go around hurting other people just for fun again, except for the crazies. Yep. And so you don't want you, to you call them like you call them a quarter truth. Like there is a nugget. There's a nugget of truth or morality here that someone just hasn't taken and followed the path to its logical conclusion here uh, where you have considered every positive and negative aspect of what you're saying. You are just taking the surface thing that we're saying that this feels to me more humane than this other option. And you're just running with that without any critical thinking behind it. Yeah, pretty much. <sighs> well, I think we've done, we've done the Lord's work here today. Uh, I we've think discussed... we have. John yeah. Moses John Moses Browning sits at the, so obviously if you read the Bible, Jesus sits at the right hand of God. John Moses Browning sits at his left. Um, I'm definitely John, hell for John that. chapter something verse something else. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's in there. Uh, it's in there somewhere. All right, guys. Well, if you like the show, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Make sure that you share this with your friends, uh, share this with the guy who thinks that birdshot's a good choice for home defense. Uh, hit that like button on YouTube. That's actually YouTube's primary metric right now is likes. So hit the hit like button, button, share with your friends. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you guys go and leave a review for it because that also helps boost the podcast signal. But uh, thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week. Later.